one it gives it label and meaning that you're going to more quickly recognize and it starts building the muscle memory because this is like any other thing you know this is like muscle memory you know when if you've never run before and all of a sudden you decide to run a marathon you're not just going to go out and run a marathon you got to start working up to it you got to start building the muscle memory you know in law enforcement you know we qualify four times a year with our with our handgun or firearms it's not because we forget how to shoot a weapon it's because you don't want to build muscle memory so in case of cases of uh, times of crisis and stress you can actually have muscle memory to protect the life of your Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Robin Dreek. If you missed part one, go back and, and hear about uh, his career in the FBI and the books he's written and uh, his company. Um, Robin, uh, so with your company, People Formula, you've obviously done great speaking and, and like the books and working with the companies. Um, in what ways have you been surprised of the crossover from your previous life to this new one? Um, I wouldn't say... It, it, you know, I've been doing it for a number of years now as I was allowed to have outside employment. I Quick answer is I formed my company back in 2010 when I was still working for the FBI. Mm-hmm. I had outside employment authority, so I kind of dabbled my toe in it as I had a good – well, like you mentioned before, Jack Schaefer is a good friend and Joe Navarro, also retired agent on my behavioral team with me. And they encouraged me to start this transition years before retirement, so it wasn't like a shock. Yeah. And so, and so I first wrote articles because they said there's no better way to get your information out than write articles and write books. And so I did that. And with that, I started to get asked to speak, and I did quickly see um, the parallel between what I was doing. I didn't really think there was going to be one, but there's a huge one, and that is all human beings. We're trying to develop trust and relationships for whatever purpose you're doing. So I'd say that was initially kind of interesting. At this point, though, it's I'm like, of course it is. You know, so I'm very much in, in line with you. Tell me how you want the content frame because I can tell you whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, whether it's for your own small entrepreneurial business, whether it's a big one, whether it's customer relations, or whether it's trying to recruit spies. All these things you're talking about require relationships, and that's what I do. I talk about how to build them. I love it. Well, um, if you can, can you can you tell us a story back from your New York days? In terms of what? I got lots. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, specifically, I mean, we all grew up on the, the Cold War movies, you know, going up against the Russians is like, do you mean we all have it baked into our psyches? And you actually did it. Is there is there any of those stories that you're allowed to share or aspects of them? Sure, I can share. I, yeah, I, I, they're all in the book. So everything in my books are fictionalized. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one that's actually in the book, fictionalized, um, but it was really it really was about trust and trust on multiple levels. Um, I can't name the specific countries involved, but this was right. I was in New York during 9-11. And when you're working Russians in New York during 9-11, we all got told very rapidly because um, I was I was about five blocks away when the Trade Center was hit. I saw eight people jump from the North Tower um, before the second plane hit the South Tower. I had an engine that from the South from the plane that hit the South Tower landed about 30 or 40 feet from my car. And so we started shifting immediately to uh, work in Middle East so we could try to gather intel and sources so we could start seeing what the threat is and what do we do about it. And I remember I only had about – well, I came into Bureau in 1997, so I had about, about four or five years in. Not a lot of credibility you know, because it takes about 10 to 15, 20 years to get the kind of credibility inside the Bureau with the management. 
But I actually had one of my sources in the book, he's called Leo, that said, hey, I found someone for you that might be a big help. And this guy was a, a relative, a very close relative of a leader in the Middle East. And this could be an incredible, he was claiming to have incredible back-channel information that could help us um, in a lot of areas for national security and terrorism and everything. With only four or five years in, my first challenge was not really the recruitment of or getting this one person to you know buy my product of American patriotism. The first challenge was getting my management to trust me to allow them to allow me to do it. Um, so I quickly had to figure out you know who you know and that's where the six signs of predicting behavior and six signs of who, who actually is on board with you really came to play without understanding it at the time. But it's, you know, I first had to inspire, I don't believe in convincing people because you really can't convince anyone of anything because convincing is about me. If I think of how do I inspire you to want to believe in me, inspire me to allow me to do something, it's about you. So I really needed a couple allies about, you know, how to allow me to, you know, be the lead point on this with only about four or four and a half years in to, you know, be directly and indirectly in touch with a, a world leader that's going to directly go to, you know, the president, decision makers and stuff. So it actually went pretty good. And uh, the relationship was fascinating because I remember on first contact with this guy, um, he needed a favor. Um, and I was able to do the favor. He was actually he is a big hunter. He liked to go um, goose hunting. And so I, I needed to help him um, figure out how to do that as someone who wasn't a citizen. And so I, I pulled a couple strings with a couple friends. I was able to help him with that favor with no expectation of reciprocity. He's like, hey, someone needs a favor. I'll, I'll do a favor. And I remember at our first meeting we got together, he had actually a, a favorite uh, food he had <clears throat> with uh, this world leader that was his relative. Because I asked him. Um, when he was growing up, was a favorite family tradition he had. He told me about the favorite family tradition, and so at our next meeting, which is meeting number two, I actually produced that same exact food. So we actually shared, you know, broke bread together over <laughs> over that. And and to this day, I mean, we are still uh, in close contact, close friends. You know, luckily for me, working in the world of counterintelligence, I didn't deal with um, dirtbags. I dealt with people with high level intelligence. This guy was extremely well educated, very well off. Um, needed nothing from me. I mean, he just he just wanted again he bought into uh his product he liked he liked american patriotism he thought his country would do better being aligned with the united states and so he did all he could um to further that and i was i was i was i offered him the ability to do that and so we're still in close contact today again talk about vesting he vested in my success he gave me information that helped myself in my career at the same time helping himself and his beliefs longevity signs of longevity are when you establish traditions we still exchange holiday gift baskets, and we've done it every year since 2001. Wow. So, yeah. You know, yeah, strong relationship. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. This idea of sharing a meal with somebody, it, it's it's no secret. You know, tons of people talk about it. Um, but in your mind, what do you think it is about sharing a meal with someone that has such an effect on humans? Dopamine. <laughs> I'll give you a quick hmm. answer. Um so what's going on here is especially so it's not just a meal. Meals are great because you know if you're having foods and drinks and beverages and, and conversation that you enjoy because that's the other part of it. It's not just the food itself. It, there's mu there's multiple le levels and layers of this. So let's first talk about the foods, scents and smells. If you can actually link, you know, a favorite meal or holiday tradition growing up where where they have a fond memory and when you have fond memories and good feelings and you feel affiliated and valued, you know, dopamine is released in your brain, oxytocin, serotonin, basically all the pleasure centers in the brain are firing because this is saying this is good for my survival because it was such a good feeling and, and because we all accepted each other, we all valued each other. 
And so when you can take that that taste and smells and move it forward to what you're doing now, that same reaction is going to happen in the brain. And so you're transferring that to now. And now when you can combine that with a conversation where you're doing one of those four things I mentioned where you're seeking their thoughts and opinions, you're talking in terms of what's important to them, you're validating them without challenging them or arguing with them, and then when you empower them with choices, when you do one of those four things, it also releases dopamine in the brain because you're saying I want to affiliate with you and I value you. So now you have double, quadruple hits of pleasure centers in the brain firing because I'm sharing foods, beverages, sights, and smells from great early memories of my life, and I'm cascading that on top of someone that knows how to make a conversation all about them. When's the last time you ever had anyone do that to you? <laughs> Not too often, but we sure love those people, don't we? Yeah, and that's why. you know, And that's why we follow great, great bosses sometimes too. I mean, anyone can teach anyone to you know flip a switch or do a job, but we follow people – if if we want to live a calm, successful life, which was you know obviously it's hard work, but where you feel fulfilled, we generally follow the people. Like when I was in New York, uh, my boss in New York, he went to headquarters, and so I was I got transferred to Virginia Beach. Basically, he he inspired me to leave Virginia Beach to go up to FBI headquarters because what did he do every day in New York when I went in? He asked my thoughts and opinions about what was important to do that day. He talked in terms of what I thought was important in both in my life personally and professionally. He validated those ideas that I had and gave me choices about how to move forward with all of them. So he did one of those four things with me at least multiple times a day. So every time I'm around him, he's making me feel good about who I am, and I felt valued. We follow those people. You know, um, it, it's interesting that you talk about that because to me, you know, so at our at Child Rescue, we've got a number of guys out of the Tier 1 Army unit that uh, mm -hmm. of special ops. And they're, one of their things is, uh, you know, they're always talking about selection as an ongoing process. You're not, you're not guaranteed a spot on those teams, right? Right, right. But I feel like what you're saying is that recruitment is an ongoing process. Like, you know, as, as employers, it's easy to take staff for granted. And, you know, can we make it part of our intentional life to help people feel good about themselves and do those four things that you've been talking about? And, you know, look, look at the effect it had on you, right? Absolutely. So here's how you do it. You know, when I was in the Marine Corps, we had a thing called the platoon commander's notebook. And I've in, I've reinvented this and re reimagined it. I call it the leadership notebook. And this it's not about leader, about title and position. It's about leader where you have a destination you're walking to and you're trying to inspire people to come along on the journey, whether it's a journey of selling your product and service or, or any other part of your life, you know, whether or saving children. And so what the, the premise of this whole thing is, is very simple, is start taking note and writing it down. You know, the people you're encountering, write down their strengths, ignore their weaknesses because we all got them. It's guaranteed that we're all working on something. Write down those strengths because if you want to start a challenging conversation with someone, you know, start by identifying what they're awesome at very specifically because that'll demonstrate right off the bat that, hey, we're good. Tribe is good. Then start identifying their priorities, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, personal, professional, long-term, short-term, and write those down. And they're going to shift over time because as you write these things down and start taking note of them, the next thing I want you to do is start thinking in terms of how are you going to be a resource for success in the area of things that are important to them. And if you, the day you stop doing that is the day their brain's going to start shutting down to you. And so those things over time are going to change, you know, because again, how we see success, you know, how we see safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves and our family grows over time. And so the way it is on day one is not going to be the way it is five or ten years down the road. So if you don't keep fresh with it and keep focused on it, you're going to start losing people. You know, I love this. It reminds me we did an interview with uh, the CEO of a company called Chatbooks, and before he went to Harvard, he'd been working at McKinsey, and yeah. he said that his boss in LA figured out 
that what he really, really, really wanted was to get him and his newlywed wife transferred to the Paris office, which just doesn't happen for first years, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And he says, every time I got a new assignment, we would have this discussion about how does this help me get closer to Paris? Yes. And this guy, Nate Quigley, is like, I work till two in the morning sometimes for that guy because I wasn't really working for him. I was working for me to get to Paris. And it has the great success story of a year in, he did get the transfer to Paris, which doesn't always happen, right? But I just thought it was magic that this boss figured out what he wanted was Paris. And like, can't we all be asking our staff what's their Paris? And like, I love that you are actually writing it down. It's not like a, oh, that's a nice two thing. Like putting the time and effort into writing it down. Excellent. I, well, I call it the, the Toyota Tundra effect. Toyota Tundra, you say? Yes, I, I bought a Toyota Tundra. And the day I bought my, <laughs> my truck, 300 people in my town bought the same truck. And, we, <laughs> and we all, we've all experienced that. You buy a new car and all of a sudden you start seeing that same make and model because it has label and meaning. So as soon as you write things down, it has label and meaning to you. And your brain automatically starts aligning resources in terms of those things. And when you – you know, I have these three anchors. These My three leadership anchors are, are pretty solid. Uh, for me, my number one is healthy professional relationships. Before I engage my mouth or my email or t text, I ask myself, is what I'm about to say or do going to help or hinder a healthy relationship? Because if not, everything else will fall apart because you cannot achieve anything without relationships, guaranteed. Second is open, honest communication and transparency because, again, you cannot have that healthy relationship without that. And my third is exactly what you just talked about. My third is, very simply, I make myself an available resource for the success and prosperity of others with no expectation of reciprocity. And that's and how do you do that? Well, in order to be a resource for the success of others, you have to understand what's important to them, and now you're going to be a resource. And that's exactly what this guy did. He knew – he listened to what the priorities of this individual was. And, sorry, and just to back up, this was yeah. your boss in Virginia Beach or the boss you had before you went there? Before I went there. Okay. Yep, You know, because, again, resource for your success and prosperity. And granted, it's not going to come overnight, but here's a guy that said, all right, you want to get to Paris. All right, let's look at the resume and bios of people that get those transfers. And now I'm going to be a resource for you to have those opportunities to get that resume and bio you need to get where you want to go. And in between, he knows what his priorities are. The boss knows what his priorities are, and he's overlapping his priorities with the priorities of that individual and empowering him with choice about how to move forward. And, and that's, that's how it works. And now who doesn't want to work for that guy? Yeah, right. So, so what was your version? What was your Paris? What, what, what was he – how did he do that with you? How did he build rapport with you? Yeah. Mine, you know, that's back in the day when I thought everyone was all about the mission, and my mission was to make a difference in national security. And he said, you have a great opportunity. I have an opening in our unit up here to work Russians at the national level, and I think you'd be a great fit because we're all, we all came back here and we miss you. I, it, was really, it was really literally that simple. I, I didn't have massive career aspirations. I, I really just wanted a good place for my kids to go to school in the northern Virginia here where we live. I'm halfway between Richmond and D.C. was good, and it gave me an opportunity to do something what I thought was important. That was it. <laughs> it's, in, it's interesting, though, how – and I feel like you touch on this in the book and um, this idea of like it, it sounds so incredibly simple, and everybody's heard it, it before. Is. But I just don't think they – having spent time with the guy on our team, I just know that so many people haven't gone deep on this simple subject and built the meaningful repetition so they have the, the neural pathways in their brain to just constantly be thinking what's in it for them. But it, that level of self-interest, it's almost like a ring in a bull's nose. Like when you, when you understand what, they, what that deep self-interest is in, it seems like you can just almost lead them around if you can show them a faster, quicker, cheaper way to get what they wanted. 
Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's, this, I call all this the elusive obvious. This is the most uncomplicated thing on the face of the planet. You know, all the, and there's, and I, I never, ever diminish any other sales books, any marketing books, all these things. They're all saying great things, but every single one of them is saying exactly the same thing at its core. And that's what I love talking about and preaching, and I literally preach this, is, is that what are all human beings, what do we all desire? Safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves and our family, all of us. All you have to do is figure out what the other person thinks that is and offer resources in terms of that and have transparency. Why aren't, why aren't more of us better at it? Because we're afraid. We're, we're fearful. We're fearful of being rejected. Uh, societal norms and cultural norms inside of company corporations will offset that. You know, because again, so so you can know this. You read it in a book. You hear you hear me do a keynote. You hear me do a podcast on it, and you're like, oh my god, I so understand this. It makes so much sense. And when when you're thinking this way, fantastic. Now you get back to the workspace, and you have a bunch of other twenty or thirty year olds that are going nuts, balls to the wall, trying to you know conquer the world, trying to make sales for themselves, you know, to make themselves look good, to get ahead of the next guy. And it, you fear that if I don't do that behavior, I'm going to be ostracized from the tribe. And so it's that lack of self-confidence that, listen, you know, how do I make this better? I, what I love about that, too, is I think about – and by the way, anybody who wants to see the other podcast Robin's been on or his books or stuff, make sure to go to peopleformula.com, and, and it's all there. But um, I do think about – like what, one, one time uh, I, was, I was working for a management consulting firm. And doing uh, large military contracts, you know, helping sell them leadership training, basically. And I think about like, so, so for instance, the, uh, the Mar Army Medical Department. Okay, I, uh, as long as I'm, I'm going to brag about myself, which you're not supposed to do, but uh, okay, they, you're loud. I like it. I want to hear about it. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> came to us with a sixty thousand dollar order, and I did some things like bought them lunches and stuff, and that happens in all the rest of the world, but it doesn't always, you know. Government people don't always get treated as well, right? Oh, absolutely not. And, uh, and I bought plane tickets to come volunteer at their events they weren't even paying us for, you know, like stuff that they'd normally have to pay for. I, I, like I did some of these things, right? And, you know, this – I've failed plenty of times, but this is one of the times where I followed maybe some of the things you're talking about. And they came back with a $2.8 million order, right? And I think about um, – I guess my only other success like this was in our, our previous investment fund. This, this group came in, they gave us a hundred thousand dollars. That's what the initial conversation was about, but we just dug into what they wanted and what they needed for their team. You know, their investors who, who would sure. supply them with capital. And we yeah. just did stuff that you don't normally do in those situations. And we drove miles to be at their events. And we made, we made, we basically did their job for them a bunch. We made custom reports and, got extra videos and photos for them to be able to show their people and made their life easy. And they ended up giving us 8 million, you know? Well, look at the first two signs of what we're talking about to begin with, the six signs of, you know, who's looking to have a relationship with you. What you demonstrated very rapidly and very easily was that you're vested in them and you're looking for longevity. And, you know, in the Marine Corps, we call this the cost of doing business. I can't tell you the number of times that I have bought things for my confidential human sources, which are basically my clients out of my own pocket, because, you know, whether it was a birthday present for one of their kids that I that they told me about or a bottle of wine for them at Christmas um, or a holiday or any major event in their lives, I'd give them I'd send them handwritten notes and cards because you always have to demonstrate. I know you. I care about you. You know, you and our relationship is first and foremost. Anything we do beyond that is bonus. OK, but you know, how much do I love that you're paying that out of your personal? 
I really feel like that is the cut above is those folks who are like, well, the company won't pay for it. Those people never reach the top. No. So I, I want to dig in on this because I, I would like to think I follow some of the principles you teach, but, but I love the sophistication, the level you've gone to it. And that's what I would like to get to later in my career. Um, I want to ask about this idea of doing things for people, this fine line of like doing them a favor in a non-transactional way, yet still knowing you're hoping to grow the relationship. Like, can you talk about navigating this? Like, cause I know what you're talking about. I just am not good at describing it. And I feel like you probably have more insight than I do on it, on this idea of scratch their back first, but not necessarily just so they'll scratch your back back. Can, yeah, can you talk about yeah, this? Yeah, you can't. Um, we mentioned it already. It's, it's my third anchor, um, which is available resource for the success and prosperity of others, no expectation or reciprocity. Let me break down those words first. Available resource, meaning, meaning I'm not inflicting myself in your life if you do not want me. I'm an available resource. Resource, meaning I don't offer help because if you offer help, that even gives some tinge of superiority mm. and, no one want, and no one wants to be looked down upon. Mm -hmm. I always think in terms of resources. Your prosperity, you might define prosperity much different than me. I don't want to inflict my definition on you. And again, the key here is no expectation of reciprocity. If you start doing things and you're doing things and you have hope and expectation that someone's going to reciprocate that, are you really doing it for them or are you doing it for you? Because even these little tinges of, of you know self-centeredness, it leaks through in your nonverbal behavior. And so people do not like that. People do not – you know. so I let go. I have no problem – being a genuine, sincere, taking care of you, and all I, now all I do at the same time, if you're curious, I will share my priorities with you of what's important, of my products, of my priorities, of things that are important to the company, and I let it go. And if you never want to meet with me again, that's fine, but if you do, I'll do that too. You just let me know what you want because yeah, that's how you, you make that conversation all about them. Can you talk about developing the kind of self-confidence and to, to have faith? in a strategy like that because it feels so risky to go, I've used up my time and I'm not even getting, I don't even know if I'm going to get something from it. You know, you talked about the fear before. Right. And yet, as you talk that, I hear this thing in your voice of like, I know who I am. I know how to do my job. I'm going to plant these seeds and they may or may, may not, I'm putting words in your mouth. You correct me, but it sounds like I'm going to plant great. these seeds. They may or may not bear fruit. And I'm, I'm, it's just my gift. And if this works out, I would love for it to work out. And if it doesn't, I'm just glad I got to help you. And by doing this over time, it will invite, you know, like things are going to work out for me in the end. I don't need it to work out every time or something. H how do you say that? Um, well, first of all, this is a win-win. And here's where the first win-win happens. When you treat people like this and you don't have that expectation reciprocity and you give willingly and generously uh, in areas that's important to them, what do you think that does to your brand? Oh, yeah, right. And do we get more work from first clients or repeat clients or referrals? I'm telling you, the world of referrals is based on your brand that you create. And you create a brand where you're like this, I guarantee you it doesn't matter whether these people want you or not. Someone else will because you think that – so here, I never think about just the individual I'm, I'm engaging. I think about that individual first and foremost. But then I also think about who are they going to engage with the rest of that day, week, month, year, and how do I leave them? Do I, if I leave them feeling better for having met me with that positive energy and they now engage other people the rest of that day and they're in a much better mood, then people ask them, damn, you're in a good mood today. What happened to you? <laughs> and, and there Natural goes the magnet. brand. Absolutely, and that becomes the brand. And the second part of this is I have done both sides of this life. 
you know, I am the type A guy that was in his 20s. It was all about making myself look good and in my 30s too and making myself look important and me, 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 me. And I had these aha humbling moments in life where I finally realized, oh, my God, all those things I was trying to accomplish required one thing I wasn't focused on, relationships. And if I focus on the relationships, all those things I thought were so important, they become so much easier. Well, they're like so, a natural byproduct, right? You don't even have to try at them. No, I, I even I call these things means goals and ends goals, like the means to the end. Yeah. You know, and those ends goals I mentioned, you know, the healthy professional relationships, open honest communication, transparency, and available resource for the success and prosperity of others, no expectation of reciprocity. Those are my end goals. If I take care of those three things first and foremost, I guarantee you. Every other thing you're trying to accomplish, those means, goals that you thought you had to do first, they fall into place because I, I say this all the time. You can have the greatest biology and genetics on the face of the planet, but if you, if you don't have good, healthy relationships, you might as well be a moron on top of a mountain by yourself because the, none of it will happen without relationships. So you focus on relationships. All those other things fall into place, and byproduct is your brand rocks. You know, I, I love it. You, um I, I want to bring up – I found a quote of, of another interview you'd done I want to talk about for just – I know we're closing in on the end here. But, you know, I used to work for the Arbinger Institute that, when I was doing that military stuff. And oh, yeah. they they really got me into um, this Austrian philosopher that their stuff is – sources a lot named Martin Buber who, who really feels like our biggest human problems in life come from thinking about other people as an object, you know, objectifying them, right? Oh, my God, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I actually got words on my team I outlawed. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Well, can you – can you talk about this? Because, well, I won't even worry about the article. Let, let's just talk about this idea of, uh, you know, yeah, you, your kind of allergic reaction to anything that objectifies others, or at least that's the sense I got from the article. Absolutely. 100%. Matter of fact, um, I mean, do you think a human being doesn't think or feel when you think of them as a thing, as an object to take it, be taken advantage of? I guarantee you they do. You know, it's, it's what I call congruence. Um, human beings are seeking congruence for people that we trust. And congruence is, is when the words they're speaking match the nonverbals they have. You know, if they're saying good things in terms of your priorities, wants, dreams, and aspirations, and they have open and accommodating nonverbals when they're engaging you, that's congruence. Now, if someone who's actually saying those words, but actually they want to take advantage of you because they're objectifying you, they think of you as a thing, as a target, um, their nonverbals are not going to match their words are saying and that's what gives us the creepy used car salesman impression mm. um and so it is so it's so so critical important I'm not, like these aren't necessarily game stoppers or you know but i call these pebbles in a bucket and if you're engaging someone and trying to be a resource for their success you need everything on your side to possibly help and that's why when i took over my team there's words i never ever used and i didn't allow anyone around me to use it either I never regarded anyone as a subject or a target of an investigation. This is a human being that we're going to strategize how to have a good, healthy dialogue and conversation with. Because if you start thinking in terms of uh, you know, someone as a target, a mark, or something like that, you're now objectifying someone. No, this is a human being. We're going to strategize how to make okay. this about them. Okay, I'm going, to, I, I'm going to interrupt you for one second because sure. there's, it's so popular like in you know the kind of Jason, Jason Bourne genre, fiction, literature, whatever, to right. – to think like, well, if, you know, these authors, people talk about like if that, you know, you need to objectify them to be able to do your job and, you know, that so you don't get emotionally involved and, and forget your mission. And yet, like the highest level professionals that I speak to, it seems like by not objectifying others and being honest about how this might make it tough for, for their country or other people in their life, but I wouldn't be being responsible if I didn't do this. 
they're almost better to anticipate what might happen next and they feel like it's an advantage it seems like you do as well yeah well why do people objectify the the ones that objectify i mean just so let's take the jason Bourne ones is he looking for a long-term relationship with anyone or is he looking to manipulate situations manipulate people to take care of himself and maybe his one love interest yeah that's it you know and so when you when you're on a time constraint and this, this, this is what happens to companies. This is what happens to intelligence organizations, whether domestic or foreign. If you're on a time constraint and you need something quick and now, you're going to have to manipulate that information out of someone. And if you're, and the only way you can manipulate is to take take advantage of. You can't. You got to start objectifying, and that's what people do. So they don't get emotionally attached because basically. It's a lack of empathy, but people seek and crave empathy, and and by manipulation, you have no empathy when you're engaging. And again, you you're going to get, possibly get what you're looking for in the short term, whether it's business or intelligence. But what you have guaranteed is buyer's remorse from that person the next time you engage, so, and your brand is blown. And this, but this is my argument. Even in the even in the short term ones, and I want to see if you agree with me or if you see it different. Even in that short term instance. So, for instance, we were training a classified organization and we were talking about i was i was teaching this idea about what if you need to you know you're in a you're in a foreign country with a hostile foreign intelligence service pursuing you right and you guys need the guy at the airport to leave the to let you in in the hours you're not supposed to be in right he doesn't owe you anything but being able to like show up and actually care about him as a human is going to give you more like like a higher probability of figuring out what he wants and anything you could do for it than showing up and trying to manipulate him, which I know is kind of semantics, but do you see it the same? Do you see it different? How would you, what would you say about that? Yeah. I mean, if as long as you can talk in terms of how it's helping him in terms of his safety, security, prosperity for his family, by the actions you're taking, uh, it could actually protect him and his family or him and your country. And in other words, every human being is going, we're priorities of all human beings are really simple. Again, safety, security, prosperity. So talk in terms of what he's about to do is going to possibly be a help for that. And also if you use the assistance theme, all human beings are genetically coded to render some sort of assistance to others mm. or to someone like them, you know, cause we're genetically coded to do it because we fear if we, if we need something in kind later on in life, we don't do it. So again, as long as you're not trying to convince him and, and manipulate him, but you make it in terms of him, that's where the sh- shift happens. I love it. Well, listen, I know you do these interviews and, and people ask a lot of questions. What's, what's a question that you wish people would ask more? Maybe this is a good place for us to end. What's, what's a soapbox thing for you that's important to you that doesn't get talked about enough? Or what's a question you wish people asked? Um, I say I get asked this quite a bit. I do think it's the most important question, whether people ask it or don't ask it. You know, it's like what's what's one or two things I could do starting today to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And and these are and these are my my quick tips that I always say. If you can start doing these two things right away, it'll start shifting how you focus on other human beings and and how other human beings regard you. And that is one: seek their greatness and make note of it. In other words, stop paying attention to what people are doing wrong and what they're insecure about. Because here's another guarantee: we're all working on something. <laughs> we we're born, we're all born perfect. The world messes us up for about 19 years, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to unscrew it. So take it for granted. I know this. I do. I've done investigations my entire life. We're all, we all have stuff we're ashamed of. We're all working on something. So ignore that. Focus on the greatness and take note of it. Second. Start identifying the priorities of others, what's important to them, both personally and professionally. You take note of that. You write that down. Now you start thinking, of how can I be a resource for them furthering those things? And I guarantee you're going to start seeing life change. I love your emphasis on writing it down. I think there's so many people that think they know concepts like this. Um, I like to think I know concepts like this. Yet I think about 
the number of times I've actually written it down. And like, am I, how serious am I about this goal? Am I serious enough about it to think hard enough and take the time to go write down what I think's in it for them? You know, that's, it sounds so simple, yet I think it's so uncommon. It is. And the writing down, it's not, it, the writing down is for two purposes. One, it gives it label and meaning that you're going to more quickly recognize and it starts building the muscle memory because this is like any other thing, you know, this is like muscle memory, you know, when, if you've never run before and all of a sudden you decide to run a marathon, you're not just going to go out and run a marathon. You got to start working up to it. And you got to start building the muscle memory, you know, in law enforcement, you know, we qualify four times a year with our, with our handgun or firearms, not because we forget how to shoot a weapon. It's because you don't want to build muscle memory. So in case of cases of uh, times of crisis and stress, you can actually have muscle memory to protect the life of you and your uh, others around you. You know, it's the same thing here. Behaviors are exactly the same thing. It takes some time to build muscle memory. And the first thing to help you do that is write it down. You'll recognize it faster. You'll be able to act on it faster. It'll make you more thoughtful when engaging others. And because people are not looking for you to be perfect, they're looking for you to make an effort. And when you can demonstrate you're making an effort on their behalf, then you start having trust. I love it. Well, listen, everybody, please check out peopleformula.com, see all Robin's stuff. I just bought his new book, Sizing Up, Sizing People Up on audible.com. I recommend everybody do that as well. And uh, and thanks for all you shared here today. Thank you. What a great conversation. Did a great job of, of squeezing out every last inch of, of uh, what I believe and uh, what I think is really be beneficial to all your uh, listeners as well. Thank you, Jess. Well, we'll have to do this again. You, write another book. We'll have you back on, okay? <laughs> okay, sounds good. Thanks, everybody.